वेलकम टू सिंटॉक द सिंटॉक अराउंड द टेबल टूडे डिस्कस द लास्ट फ्यू डेज विल थिंक अबाउट एंड ऑफ लाइफ एंड द सीन अराउंड द डेथ बेड वॉट इज इट लाइक टू डाई एंड आई अलोन वाई इज डेथ इंक्रीजिंगली अ स्ट्रेंजर वॉट आर द लास्ट फ्यू डेज लाइक and the last few minutes do dogs and cats die differently from humans do they mourn each other's death is death anxiety truly universal do people feel sad or angry or fearful when they're dying what role do cultural attitudes play what is natural death like what is frailty Does dying often involve giving up? How does Oscar the cat know when death is coming? And where and how will we all face death in the future? Will we die in ICUs? We are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today. Abodh Aras is the CEO of the Welfare of Stray Dogs. an animal welfare organization based in mumbai professor santosh chaturvedi he is a psychiatrist with special interest in terminal illnesses and palliative care he is currently in nimhans bangalore and dr m r rajgopal he is a palliative care doctor and the founder chairman of palim india he is based in tiruvananthapuram So, Dr. Rajgopal, why don't you set the ball rolling with you? Um, you've you've seen death from close quarters for many years now, in in, in various capacities. Um, how has that understanding changed? What what is death as a beast to you? Um, and and how has that changed over the last twenty, thirty years? And, and and this is just reflecting on what you make of it or what you think of it inside your own head. I'm glad this conversation is happening. I've known death at close quarters not only in my work. I've known it from my childhood. Death was not a stranger. Hmm. I've seen Carol dying in the shed. I've seen my uncle dying when I was only about 4. We were part of the whole thing. We I saw people die. We saw the cremation. we touch the feet of the body without anybody teaching us we learn to accept death as the inevitable consequence of life two generations later was the, there was there a mood of fear or some kind of taboo around it no no there was sadness there was grief when you lose something you grieve that was there but it was natural we accepted it right it it happens whereas today the yesterday to a group of doctors i was asking them uh, have you seen somebody dying including two young doctors they had not seen somebody dying only the older generation of people had seen somebody dying 
okay the young doctors have just become doctors that may be the reason so where do people die now i mean i would have thought that they die in the company of doctors but even doctors don't seem to have seen them oh they come die in the company of machines if they are rich <laughs> the poor die in the company of the family when they are afraid of something they will have a hand to hold when their throat is parched they'll have somebody dropping a few drops of water down the throat but today the rich man dies lonely death with hundreds of bleeps going on around them in a lighted room for 24 hours no difference between light and day and no human company that's high tech death that is high tech modern sad horrendous infliction of suffering for the dying does it prolong suffering that kind it of it certainly death? does uh, the difference between a natural death and a death with artificial life support is that the dying process and therefore the suffering is stretched out over a long period of time maybe by weeks even and it's along with the infliction of physical suffering because a tube goes into every orifice and something that goes into the lungs every moment is agony and so when you say natural death rajgopal what does that mean what does it mean to die naturally is it like a kind of falling asleep where you fall asleep and never wake up or what is it does the person dying know that the person is dying like what is natural death? And, and 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 i know it's not like an element and of one kind i'm sure there are different types and kinds but what is natural death how would how would you characterize it uh, the the kind of so gradual passing away to oblivion would be a dream hmm. that may be too romantic a dream to achieve does it yes. not happen at all it it happens but more often it's a it's a process with some suffering also most of the time let us not romanticize it into something that is ethereal and uh, dreamy and serene and peaceful it can be mm-hmm. but more often it's not so this is but, so death would always be accompanied by some kind of organ failure or something is 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 that where you come from yes and the body shuts down most of the time except in 10 to 15% of people who die a sudden death for 85 to 90% of us death occurs over a certain period of time it's a gradual process and what is that period of time what's it like okay i mean like what happens it's it's again romanticizing but what i would like to happen when my time comes is to be able to be told honestly whether my problem is curable or not so that i can expect it it's about finishing my unfinished business maybe writing a will but even more importantly bring up some people and telling them thank you very much you have been an important part of my life if there are some people that have i have had a quarrel with it's about ringing up asking for their forgiveness maybe forgiving some people it's about that kind of reconciliation and this is frightfully important to me and i said it is not often very romantic and there may be suffering 
and often um, there can be delirium you may you may romanticize it maybe it is true you are seeing your dead ancestors or it may be just a uh, just something in you know, my mind that's happening at that time and this is the doctor in you speaking rajagopal so these things now obviously as a human being you could say the kind of things you've said but you know so i'm mean, calling up somebody forgiving and asking for forgiveness and things of that sort um what does it uh, so santosh where are you on this what about the you know so one is the body you know obviously there's the body and there's the mind now i don't want to get into dualist kind of questions that's not what you're trying to do here um, but what happens to the mind does do do graphs move in tandem the mind and the body and i i know these questions are easier to pose than to answer um but what is give us a mood of that what is it like well uh, many times uh, people feel that uh, uh, death is uh, related with sadness hmm Uh, at times it is you mean the person dying is the sad the person dying is sad of course the relatives are also sad they will always be sad but more than that it's actually is a fear and the fears are multiple a fear is of pain fear is of suffering fear is of unknown fearing is of various things which they have never talked about when they were alive you like, mean when you say unknown santosh this yeah, is unknown yeah. of what happens after yes what happens after what will happen to the soul what will happen to the body so again that has a cultural connotation it has a cultural connotation but it also has a, a connotation across cultures sure. so it is easy to answer from a cultural point of view in our setting so uh, that is one thing and the fears are as uh, dr rajgopal was mentioning is about uh, uh, you know unfinished business and this is one part of unfinished business is to patch up with relations uh, you know good or bad to be able to say thank you to people seek forgiveness for uh, people because if these are not settled then the mind is very unsettled and the mind is in full of turmoil and then that is what will prevent any peaceful death so doing unfinished business this is one part other part may be you know it might be a religious thing it might be mundane thing like writing a will but it might be like you know i want to listen to a chanting or a, a bhajan or a aarti of a god or i want some religious thing religion plays a very important role in dying because religion is something which the, uh, the it's a part of that's it's a part of sense making it's yeah and of... it's also part of our tradition hmm. that uh, you know uh, somehow people believe that if uh, religious things are not done you will not go to heaven for, you know for for some reason people would like to go to heaven and there is a place where they would be there would be no more suffering i like the way you put it for some reason people would like yes. to go to heaven i mean the people have not seen heaven or hell <laughs> you know they have heard about the concepts of heaven and hell but they have not seen you know you never know it might be worse than uh, the current earth or it might be better or hell might be you know uh, 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 something which might not but be so very is roughly as it is advertised in earth yes, it might not be so intolerable <laughs> yeah so uh, people have that so people would like uh, uh, to have peace in mind and the relatives would also like that and that would be possible only uh, if the suffering is reduced uh, the pain is reduced these unfinished businesses are reduced uh, uh, the last wish people have and many times it's very simple wish they might like to have one of their favorite foods or uh, meet a favorite uh, friend or relative listen to a favorite song 
So, uh, but I, I would say... Is, is, are, there, are there psychiatric, psychological conditions around dying? Do people... Does something happen? Does one become more vulnerable? Does uh, Is there a psychosomatic side to this? Well, there is a psychosomatic side to it. And I would say there are two psychosomatic sides. One is uh, what we call as thanatophobia. Mm-hmm. Thanatophobia is a death anxiety. Mm-hmm. Now, we should also know that uh, in our uh, life, uh, death anxiety is a, is a normal thing. Everybody has death anxiety. So that is the thanatos. And uh, like there is the will to live, there is also the desire to uh, die, which people might have. But it becomes... an you mean in- desire to die, death instinct? A death instinct is right. there. Like the life instinct, the death instinct is there. But it becomes a, a, a problem when people have any medical disorder because that increases the death anxiety. And when people have severe uh, medical disorders or terminal illnesses, it becomes the worst possible because uh, the anxiety becomes too much. So what happens? So what, so what, what, ha- what is it like to be very, very acutely anxious of death? So uh, the people panic. People panic and uh, they are not able to connect with uh, their uh, relatives and caregivers. Sometimes, which uh, Dr. Rajgopal mentioned about delirium. So delirium is uh, much more of a medical condition. So what is delirium? Is delirium just... is a state of, uh, you know, uh, uh, fluctuating levels of consciousness that the person has. Mm-hmm. So uh, sometimes they are alert. Sometimes they are, you know... Uh, uh, in some uh, other world. In some other world. A bit of unconsciousness, bit of coma. Then they again come out. But what is important is that... that and, and, and delirium, you would call that a medical condition. I mean, it, it you would label something as... Yeah, there is no pure psychiatric delirium. Sure. But there is always because of a medical underlying uh, condition. So, But what happens is that, that time people hallucinate. So uh, they might see figures of uh, whatever they have imagined as fearful. It might be uh, figures like somebody is a Yamaraj or, uh, you know, very, uh, 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 very fearful persons that they see. It is their concept of devil. And when does this happen, Santosh? Is this, this, is this like in the last few days? Yes. La- last several years of one's life? No, like no. Where it, does it, it usually, when is it the most well, delirium the is busiest a treat, period? Delirium is also a treatable condition. Mm-hmm. So if you come to know the cause, you can correct it. But when it, in the in the, in the the final stages... So if of, you know that the cause is fear of death, what are you supposed to no, do? No, no. The cause would be either an electrolyte imbalance right, or so urea. That's why you said it's a medical sugar, condition. Medical condition. So, but in the end, in the terminal stages, it is more or less continuous. Uh, it can be in some people. So uh, then uh, we know that it, it cannot be undone. And the uh, only thing we have to do is uh, control their delirium so that they can be in a bit of a contact with people and be able to say goodbye and things like those. And uh, jumping to you, Abol, and because we're opening a few flanks here now, obviously you inhabit a different world. Of course, you inhabit our world as well, but you also happen to give dogs some company. And to the extent that you've thought about this, um, do dogs die differently? I know one, one can pose this question in general for animals, but I, I want to corner it a little bit only in a narrower context of so the you world. you mean whether familiar. dogs die differently, differently from other animals? or From, from human beings. From well, uh, Where uh, do they go to die? I mean, because... Um, so I think uh, earlier, you know, when um, healthcare access was less. Now, more and more, there are a lot more veterinarians, hospitals, the whole pet industry has grown and so on. So but what I about say, strays? Yeah, strays also. So, I mean, there's more healthcare available because of non-governmental organizations. So, earlier, I think that cats and dogs, you know, 
were two extremes that they would either go peacefully and die somewhere you know all alone, alone all alone or you know i've had a case or some cases where um i don't know how i mean cognitive it was but there there have been a, a cat that i didn't know who just came outside my door in a very terrible state and i'd never seen that cat before so whether it knew that there was some help available from somebody you know so so there are these two extreme uh, you know cases today of course it's different because you know there's more healthcare available so more and more um uh, deaths happen in front of you right so they are anyway in an enclosed space and so the natural instinct is lost or whatever they would have done several years ago and from what you can tell or what you see do you think dogs are have death anxiety i mean it looks like i think you know santosh mentioned a while ago that all of us seem to have some fear of death to varying degrees now it it may not get so i don't know if the word anxiety is correct because sometimes i feel that uh, the way animals or dogs and cats are different is that just like they don't have this semblance of self pity so they don't sit and pity themselves at what's happening to us and so on and so forth but i think they are aware that they are going to die yeah because um uh, from from an example where so they start you know, behaving differently closer yeah of course i mean there are generally uh, naturally it's non communicative behavior in terms of they can't talk so there's wild whining howling could happen um sometimes it could be that you know um uh, they're they they give you non verbal forms of communication like uh, you know just reaching out you know wanting to be in your you know lap and so on um uh, the, the, you know there was there was one one uh, case recently where um, there was a mother cat mm-hmm. yeah and she had had a litter and uh, one of our volunteers used to look after her feed her and she never used to i mean you know cats sometimes and unlike dogs they don't really want to be petted and touched and so on so she used to not come to anybody though she knew this person feeding her for many years and one day uh, this volunteer saw when she went to feed her that just she was sitting in a in a place without moving and actually allowed her to pick her up and she said oh i mean this is not normal so she was taken away and and she must have died after 3 4 hours so i think she was trying to communicate that i'm dying and please look after my kittens and they actually did a um a, a post mortem on the cat because she was a healthy cat and actually somebody had poisoned her so she she might have known that you know so so that th- i mean so i think there is self awareness and what about what about the social side of this to the extent that one can do i mean again sociality in the context of whatever dynamics is there amongst animals is there do they mourn each other's death i mean are there no one is obviously death and the entity or the being death is happening too but what about the social side of things do they know um and grieve each other obviously there's an element of grief and bereavement that maybe we yes. talk about in our context but yes what? yes of course because i mean if you actually look at a lot of youtube videos today you'll have so many examples of you know um i remember seeing something recently where there was a a a, a female dog whose puppy had died and she was just sitting there mourning you could you could see that 
Yeah. Or uh, I recently read somewhere that a, a veterinarian who had gone to somebody's house to put down the, I mean, this was in America, and to put down because... Um, Which is like euthanasia. Euthanasia, yeah. yeah. So uh, they had a cat. And actually the cat, I mean, it said that it, uh, the, the veterinarian said that the cat started behaving very differently. And as soon as he put in the injection, she actually jumped and went very close as if to, she was comforting the dog, you know. So, there may, I mean, not only dogs and cats, I mean, even recently there was a orca uh, whose, whose uh, little one had, had died and she actually pulled it, you know, for quite a few, a few miles, you know, knowing that it was uh, dead. So, how do you think of this, uh, Rajagopal? Because obviously there are so many different species on Earth and death awareness has to be wired in in some way, isn't it? Would you agree? I mean, what's your instinct on this? Um, I am. I am not. I'm. You're taking me uh, out of my depth. Mm-hmm. I do not know, but I wonder whether some of these factors, which were mentioned as possible uh, indications of awareness, mm-hmm. could have been just expressions of discomfort. Right. I don't know, but. Uh, as I cannot answer your question, sure. can I bring up another question? Of course. This is not really about the suffering of animals or dying of animals. This is about the suffering of, especially of children whose pets die. Mm-hmm. Very often with our adult, relatively insensitive minds, we ignore it. We laugh at the child. <laughs> Look at him grieving, etc. Oh, we do not talk about it. We say things like, he has gone to heaven. And especially children below the age of five or six cannot understand that death is permanent and they would expect the lost one. This can be about a pet, it can be about a family member to return. So, uh, grieving is normal. Grieving is part of your coping with a loss. Grieving is not unhealthy. Grieving can be a necessary reaction. By all means, celebrate life. By all means, celebrate the life of the lost one by talking about the good times you have had, the good times with the pet or with the relative. But it's equally important that grief should be permitted and the person should be allowed to talk about it when the sorrow, conversations are important. Otherwise, you will have to send the person later to Sandosh because then it becomes what he would call pathological grief. Grief becoming a disease. That is something that some people are not able to live with. You mean, you mean this, whatever, this grief of childhood carrying over to adulthood? Does that happen, Sandosh? Well, no, Could it I, happen? How plausible is it? Um, the grief during childhood uh, um, not really and uh, I would uh, you know allude to what uh, Dr. Rajgopal said children are really not aware of the permanence of death till the age of about 7-8 years and the first uh, idea they get is about death of someone else so it might be the death of a pet maybe death of a bird or an animal or maybe another relative 
they become aware of their own death uh, at least three or four years after that, maybe around the age of 10, 11, 12 years. That is when they, uh, you know, become aware that they might also die and then they might not come back and that's the permanence. Before that, in childhood, when they have, it's about toys and pets, but it's all very uh, impermanent. They think that the, my doll has died, but the doll comes back, you know, so they, they are able to uh, bring it back. So, uh, but about pathological grief, it can happen. It is an abnormal grief. Sometimes it is very prolonged. Sometimes it is very severe. Sometimes it is something, uh, you know, what we call as mummification, when people are not able to give away the things of the person who has died, or they are not able to look at that person's picture or photograph or, you know, any of their belongings. They are not able to meet the friends of the person who has died. So that is when it uh, requires, uh, you know, intervention. There is something which is also called as complicated grief. Mm -hmm. Complicated grief is even more pathological that it becomes a psychiatric disorder. So after the death of a person, sometimes people might get a depressive disorder. They might give a, get an anxiety disorder. They can have a psychosis or they might have uh, develop uh, alcoholism to uh, to control or to cope with their grief. So then it, when it becomes a psychiatric disorder, we call it as a complicated grief. But there are many forms of pathological grief. Some are delayed, some are inhibited, some are prolonged, some are various other descriptions which I have said. That is when we need, uh, you know, some intervention. And And does this have to do with actually watching the process of dying, actually seeing the person die? Because, you know, if, if I, let's say, knew somebody who, let's say, one had a bond with a two and that person is gone yeah. and I was somewhere else, yeah. that's a different kind of event in one's life compared yeah. to actually, let's, let's say, being a caregiver or being yeah. around the scene and yeah. watching the process of death. It's, 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 like, I know there's no better or worse, but yeah. do they do they manifest themselves in different ways? Well, uh, on the other hand, uh, a severe grief is when a person does not see a person dying. Oh, is that so? So if they have not seen... That's counterintuitive. Yeah, they, if they have not seen the person die or they have not participated, you know, like some of the things uh, Dr. Rajgopal mentioned, they have not touched that person or uh, participated in the initial part of uh, post-death uh, ceremonies, or if it is a sudden death, unexpected death, death of a younger person, death which they have not seen, if they have not participated in the cremation or funeral, uh, those are more severe griefs. But if they have participated, we have so many rituals around the time of death. You know, sometimes they in some uh, they would ask a child to uh, be present at that time or speak something in their ear of the dead body, you know, thinking that this voice will reach their soul. So all these are more comforting. And what do you think are the underlying principles? Because rituals, I mean, now obviously rituals get over-ritualized sometimes, but yes. I mean, maybe they were, they were and are principles underlying them. Well, and, these rituals are something in anthropology and, uh, you know, even in uh, psychology, we'll call them as cultural defense mechanisms. So they are defense mechanisms. I have done my bit, you know, and... Uh, uh, in, in a way, some kind of regret minimization strategy or something like yes, that, Yes, right? something you need to do. If a ritual is not performed, it causes distress. So that is why uh, uh, we have one, one of the, uh, you know, uh, 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 books on uh, death and dying, which is called Garut Puran. So Garut Puran is a book which is done after death of a person. It has actually, it induces fear in the person if they do not form, perform the rites and the rituals of the uh, dying person. 
So the thing is, as we say, uh, death is an enigma, death is very strange. We actually don't know what happens after death. The closest we know is people who have had near-death experiences. Right. But in, whether near-death experiences are actually uh, the, the true... Certainly not, because you're not dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, uh, these rituals are there to prevent, uh, to make sure that the person performs the rites. And having seen these deaths, Rajopal, do you think in many cases, and one doesn't want to reduce it to a law, there is an element of giving up? Is there a point where... I mean, I think where I'm going with this is where does one bring in elements like resolve and will and will to live? You know, one has spoken about those kind of instincts. Um, and does the person suffering or dying, uh, whatever those words mean, very loosely used, and please make it more technical if you like to, is there an element of saying, you know, I'm going now? And does does that point invariably come um, um, on that graph? We humans are vastly different. Right. When you asked giving up, did you mean in a good sense or in a bad sense? I mean, giving up, don't give up, fight. That can be the reaction of a family member. Sure. And uh, that family member may be seeing giving up as the ultimate crime. Yeah, it's not for, defeat necessarily. For the person, it may be just philosophical acceptance of the inevitable. And that's, I think, is a very healthy thing. So people are not the same. Some people, one famous American psychiatrist who died some 14 years back, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Rose, right. described various stages of grief. One was denial. This cannot be happening. I am going to fight this. I am going to fight this. This is in the context of death? In the context of death also. Hmm. In the context of disease. Suppose it is incurable and terminal and if the person still does not accept it that person till the last few days do very well they are still fighting and have all the energy but what we find is that those are the people who have sometimes rather horrible ends because a time comes in the last few days when it is not something to be denied anymore it's so visible and then they are very uncomfortable they fight they are agitated that happens otherwise those who accept it philosophically i believe generally die the better kind of death delirium going on to agitation seems to happen more in the kind of people who are denying it who are looking for other choices who are abnormally unusually sad about it cannot accept the death and acceptance of death does lead to a more peaceful end. But I also want to bring up something that Sandosh said earlier. Yeah. This is to every parent who sends their children away from the place of death of a dad or a grandfather or something because they don't want to upset the child or because the child has an examination. As an examination. Yes, yes. I have actually seen a medical professor insisting on sending the grandson away from the scene of his father's end because he wanted him to concentrate on the studies because 12th examination was approaching. The child would have been, I mean, nobody asks him. He has a right to be with the dad. And what Santosh said is that, tragic thing. 
the child not being allowed to be with the parent who is dying denied of that precious last hug that chance of saying goodbye that's a horrible tragedy which is happening more and more and more in our death denying society i would shout that from the rooftops they deserve a normal relationship to the end they deserve to see the say their goodbyes they deserved as sandosh said the feeling i have done what i could i am glad i had the chance to sit there and clip his nails on the last week well i would just like to link it with uh, uh, what dr rajgopal said and abud when my pet died was the day when my daughter was having her last examination of her bds and uh, the dog had died uh, early morning at 4 o'clock and then uh, i could not tell her i said he's sleeping and you all the best for your exams and she went and she gave her exams i didn't want to prevent i was like one you know traditional parent and in the meantime when she came back by the time we had buried the dog and then later she told she already knew that he had died mm. though i did not allow her so but then we took her to the place where we had you know buried him and she did that but uh, you know like dr rajgopal said many times to prevent what we think as doing good for the ch- uh, children uh, we do not let them participate so this will always remain with me i don't think it uh, actually it would have done any harm to her uh, she would have got a little upset but she would have at least had this feeling that i touched my you know pet uh, before he could be buried and uh, uh, could say goodbye to him and uh, you know things like those so these are very important things uh, which in uh, modern society and in future are going to become more and more important is there a uh are the stages to death itself hmm uh when you ask that question you are cons- i suspect that you are considering death as something that is distinct from life oh we must understand that every dying person is also a living person right life is still going on yeah and it is that phase the phase of you coping with the process of living your end that's what there are stages of where you are you have the chance of accepting it and then the process where you may actually feel rather odd where your body is shutting down normal functions are lost and that happens except in that 10% sudden deaths that process is the time of loss of organ function oh. and uh, people have a loss of sodium that is inevitable nobody can die a slow death with a normal sodium so please remember that when you push your grandparent into an intensive care unit to correct the sodium which becomes absurdly meaningless and then it is the time of uh, the last stage of life is the time when there is not enough blood going into the brain whether that's causing the uh, strange phenomena so it's all death the death now uh, please keep correcting me is it is it heart failure does the heart stop pumping blood and that's why we pronounce somebody dead is it brain going dead that's why you pronounce somebody dead what what exactly happens around there 
Sandosh, see the paradox? Yes. He has brought us to the place where we are not sure what death is. Yeah. Traditionally, we have taken it as as loss of consciousness. As the loss, no. Oh, loss no. of all loss of heartbeat. Breathing loss and heartbeat. heartbeat. See, between breathing and heartbeat, you can either die of breathing stopping first or the heart stopping first. If the heart stops first, a breathing goes on for only for about eight seconds. The otherwise, it may be another minute or two. But then, that's what we always considered death. And even our elders used to come from the neighborhood Just and would the feel the pulse. But now, later, we became more scientific and we found that most bodily functions are lost if the top seven-eighth of the brain is dead, where only the bottom part which controls the heartbeat alone is alive. I don't know, maybe we needed to make that distinction so that we could take the organs out and transplant it to somebody. <laughs> no, no, that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. See, those organs at that stage can leave somebody life. That is a reality. So, uh, yes, brain death means that all functions except heartbeat have stopped. Thereafter, life can be restored only on artificial life support, including artificial respiration. Do dogs know when, when, when somebody is dead, when human beings are dead? Is there a way of... Yes, um, I think... You know, um, dogs and cats, um, I mean, you know that the Parsis, yeah, uh, the, when somebody dies, yeah, I mean, and this must have been an old customer tradition that they actually used to take the dog, you know, to to sniff the body. So, um, I to mean, sniff the body to test whether... Test must be because I mean, <laughs> in times of, you know, you know doctor will... will uh, so, I mean, but... But I think, uh, yeah, d dogs um, can sense. And where, their, where, where, where do you think that was coming from? Do does a freshly dead person smell differently? From? I think I think it comes from. See, I mean, I'll give you an example that I read in. Uh, you know, there's a research paper called "The Dying Animal," and it's uh, by Jessica Pierce, and it's appeared in the Journal of Bioethical sure. Inquiry. And there, you know, in a hospice in uh, in uh, Rhode Island's. Um, there was a cat called Oscar. Oscar. Hmm. And what he used to do is that they realized that he used to go into randomly into rooms mm -hmm. and jump on, you know, the the person who was lying in in hospital or in bed and snuggle up to that person. And um, in just four, you mean just before death? Just be and in four five hours the person is to pass away, and that became a signal actually. And they realized that there was a pattern. And the, the hospital actually, um, you know, it was a signal that they used to call then the, the family saying, you know, please come, you know. So, so I think uh, in that, there was somebody called David Dosa, who mm -hmm. actually, he, he's a geriatrician, and he studied Oscar. And what he, and he, it's, it's published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And what he actually said is that one theory is that it's their naturally sense of smell. So, what he said is that maybe they smell subtle chemical, you know, changes in a person's body and such as a breakdown of carbohydrates or, or something like that. And that is something that we 
actually uh, know that their you, you, dogs you, and you, cats. You think this is possible, Santosh? When are, are chemical signatures of yeah living and freshly dead people yeah. or whatever that yeah. that yeah. might be well that it's, complex it's, must be different it's known and i mean dr rajgopal can also say we can sometimes sense and smell death mm-hmm. but dogs having a much more powerful Fast sense smell. of smell you know they can perhaps be you know, can you smell death rajgopal uh, i it's it's quite plausible i can't as a person but it's totally plausible that somebody with a keener sense of smell should be able to smell acetone which is produced more and more as the body so it breaks down it would be a somewhat sweet kind of smell yeah sweet fruity kind of smell we don't know if that is but that is but, quite plausible scientifically and, and, and also i mean if you look at not only death but today you've seen dogs you know it's it's been proved that uh, in terms of some cancer markers mm-hmm. you know they they can or or even a drop in blood sugar in in diabetes or or the forecasting of epileptic fits so i'm sure i mean i'm sure there's a lot of Obviously research there's a chemical signature to who we are metabolically yes, we are yes. chemical beasts after all so so i think you know i mean it is possible that 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 is something that they can you know yeah it might also be uh, intuition you know an intuition with uh, the circumstances or environment is something which It's makes just us some kind of pattern recognition that yeah we, yeah one can mm, say that yeah. that one has ended up learning about mm. and historically i think you know this this thing has come up again and again you know this whole point of death being a stranger and so on it, it's become some kind of an adult topic right it's some, supposed to yeah. be meant for yeah. grown ups and so on has it always been like that as far as as far as there has the, been some taboo of discussing uh, death and dying with youngsters because uh, 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 incidentally i mean it is always linked with people who are little grown up elderly and because uh, the notions of sickness and illness and diseases yeah, yeah. isn't it so it, it it could be it it may have originated with yeah. uh, see the natural death is only as we've discussed earlier at the end of life and end of life uh, as one ages uh all other causes of death will not be natural you know if right. it's a disease or if it is a for example a suicide or if in an accident uh, those are all considered as unnatural death in in terms of suffering and other things that palliative care or advanced disease we are discussing is not only about natural death it's about good death and a good death is i think one of the principles uh, which dr rajgopal would also you know uh, maybe discuss a bit more is about dignity in death having less suffering having less pain having their wishes fulfilled having you know a dignified way of dying instead of you know uh, lying somewhere and uh, uh, without any care or anything so that's become one of the most important principles of providing palliative care is that not only you provide uh, uh, relief from pain and suffering but also provide dignified death to a person now what's happened over the years rajgopal is that the now obviously there must have been a point several centuries ago where people were born all around and they died all around but now we centralized both of those events now everybody is born in a hospital and they go to die in a hospital now obviously there is is does that itself change the manner and meaning of dying and how it happens now in in, in the kind of centers that you run and you're familiar with uh death is a more frequent event compared to how it would be if it was distributed all around now obviously it concentrates care it concentrates caregiving but does it do something else to the whole dynamic and process of dying itself for the person dying yes 
in very much so look we we are not exactly in the uh, cultural background of a western society mm-hmm. in the sense that we have people the majority of whom live in villages and who are not filthy rich who still die all around their family right the majority of people live and die in their homes the people who get to hospital and die in hospitals are the minority who have money in the pocket <laughs> sandosh talked about dignity and that's so important when you have a tube in every orifice and when you are pushed around like an inert body or a, just a case in an intensive care unit that's the worst destruction of dignity and if you ask me what my some of my last wishes would be one of them would be a kiss on my cheek from a grandchild now which hospital in our country would permit that even adult family members are allowed in for 5 minutes leave alone children it's not possible somehow doctors become more important they have greater access to the person dying then or uh, we doctors think we are more important than uh, that <laughs> grandchild <laughs> yeah but, but i must tell you that you know my uncle yeah and of course i won't name the hospital but he was dying and the hospital we requested and the uh, uh, hospital actually was in the icu and yeah they actually he was he had his 91st birthday and they actually permitted us to celebrate it in the icu and i think and that was the last smile i saw on his face and i'm so glad that the hospital allowed that because otherwise there would be rules and things like that and then then of course maybe after some days he died peacefully but that is the last cognitive thing i think he remembered what are these know? rules for very good question excellent question what are these rules I, I for because somebody is dying anyway i think all these gadgets come out somehow prolong it in a very strictly medical sense um, i hope more people will ask that question look i am so glad i have respect for the hospital authorities who permitted that celebration nevertheless i am still sad that at the age of 91 he had to be alone in an icu for most of his time way way there's absolutely no sane answer to that question is that because uh, you know most of us wouldn't know what to do with a dying person around us possibly because you know we've just outsourced that skill or whatever well, what there you- are there are two reasons why people take uh, their relatives to hospital when they need not take one is that uh, they should not be left with a guilt that we did not do enough you know so they the one way is that okay we tried our best we took to for to the best hospital the best doctor best icu and everything was done that is one that is individual the second is social and people will say hey they didn't do enough he maybe he is lived uh, he was 91 he could have lived till 95 so they did not do enough so people you know are very concerned about social repercussions and social reactions to it i think if left to themselves as dr rajgopal says a lot of people would not bother they would they know uh, his maybe they should celebrate a uh, death of a person who's 91 and uh, you know let him die in a place where uh, he would be uh, he would like most which will be home 
in the home environment, in his favorite bed, in his favorite surroundings, with the pictures of God around him, with children, grandchildren and relatives around him. So that is what that person would like. What about the person in the middle of all this? What yeah. about what if that person has some other well, desire it, or wish? Yeah, if that person has a wish, then Now, if you've gone senile or you have Alzheimer's or you've just like almost well, gone, person, then then things happen to you. But yeah. otherwise, well, if 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 we say okay, person is not let's say in quotes competent enough because of disease, then of course the relatives uh, take the call on him. But if the person wants. If, because sometimes this intuition is there person says well i think i can carry on for some more time so uh, can you take me to a hospital but that should that should not be that the person should stay there till their death do you think the person dying knows when they're going to die yes many times they do many times they feel that they're going to die but they still don't die and then they you know uh, at the time when we think they have a false alarm or something yeah yeah well you know we talked about uh, death being as a beast but i know sometimes death can be an angel and i remember one case uh, you know for palliative care in a cancer hospital near my hospital where the palliative care incidentally was so good that the lady who had very advanced disease lived longer than the time than uh, the doctors had predicted right. and the family was totally broken say i had taken one month uh, two weeks leave i now it is one month leave is over two months leave is over there is no sign what i'm saying is that uh, <laughs> the disease is still there the care was good and the person so uh, the, that person started feeling that i wish you know then uh, the whole story should come to an end not that he wished her to die but you know it was in that uh, middle situation you can't take home you can't do this so uh, uh, sometimes it's a you know, something something like a blessing many times people feel now the suffering has ended okay and a lot of these spiritual thoughts you know when if you uh, you know uh, aware of victor frankl's comment that suffering ceases to be a suffering moment it has a meaning So when a person thinks that this suffering has had a meaning right. then there is no longer suffering either for the person or for the relatives who are there so it's a very complex situation there is no one straightforward answer i would say uh, for each person each individual the answers are going to be different yes both yeah. so i mean taking from what dr rajgopal and dr santosh were saying and taking it to street dogs you know and you know d- dignity in death is the same situation you know re- reinforcing in that because like when you know that a street dog who's old who's otherwise okay and is going to die is it better for him to die where his home is which is the street or just take him to a little cell who who some doctors poking him with things and then he's going to die alone so sometimes i mean we really have to tell animal lovers that you know it's better that that he and and i i sometimes give give an example saying that wouldn't i like my relative who's old i mean wouldn't he like it that he's dying amongst his loved ones rather than in a hospital so the same situation so with with advancement naturally in medicine and and more veterinarians etc do dogs love to die at home do dogs prefer to die at home whatever i think home? so i think so that that uh, you know there anyway you know when when we take animals to um uh, for when for treatment also yeah they are traumatized in a place where they have never been before for them where they are maybe it's a pet and their home or it's a street dog who's living in in a in a area 
for them that is home and they are more comfortable there than going and you know um, uh, either being treated also in a in a in a facility or dying you know all alone what is this thing santosh about this idea of home that's cropped up again and again in our conversation right and it's it's i find it a little it's turned out to be more important than i thought it would be um what is this link between home well it's a uh, uh, it's a double edged thing number one is that home is a fa- is a familiar environment uh home is where there is very little interference from others especially you know medical professionals and uh, things like those uh and uh, people believe both the relatives and the patient that this is the most comfortable place this is the place where uh, the spirit or whatever of their ancestors and family is there uh and then uh, this would be the most peaceful death sometimes in modern society you know what we would uh, the conversation started was about very nuclear families and people are very alone people find themselves uh, impossible to look after somebody at home so they would like to take them to a hospital they would like to take them to a hospice if i am dying yeah. where do i go to die like you, you know what i mean like if i know that you know whichever way you cut it i have well, maybe 6 months a year or so to go you can make a choice and a lot of people would like to make a choice as uh, dr rajgopal was mentioning in the right in the beginning the people can make a decision right in the beginning that well if i die please do this and please don't do that you know and don't take me here or if you take me there then bring me back after a consultation don't leave me there for dying so uh, in, in in these decisions can be made when you know their cognitive functions are clear and they can you know, they can understand their situation they can also understand other people's feelings because uh, it the person who dies is gone but the people who are going to live after that are the ones who are going to you know uh, suffer the grief or the guilt of uh, or the satisfaction of having done whatever they should be doing rajgopal are you able to see these points of no return in your patients mm-hmm. are you able to see that this person is now going are you able to yeah, see that rubicon yeah. yeah most of the time yes we are uh, i mean we would know most you of the time you see it time. in the eyes of the patient or you it's would... not maybe it's not as as romantic as sure. that like there are a series of things that happen particularly physically mm-hmm. you see evidence of the body shutting down the it means gradually the person slips into unconsciousness is unable to swallow so unable to swallow even saliva so that you hear a <laughs> that kind of noise or um, the limbs start going slowly colder and colder as the circulation reduces the breathing becomes deep and stertorous so there are signs i know i'm making physically. it sound like it's very difficult to say when somebody is dying it's actually pretty easy i would imagine no but having said that question is about that point of no return having said that that's precisely what i'm coming to right we are fooled at times <laughs> so so when doctors like you say like that you know say, you have okay, two more days to go th- no we don't say that mm-hmm. we n- i would never ever say that right because i know that when i ring up the family and say hey things are not looking too good would you like uh, to ask your son to come from bangalore and be around and then most of the time my prediction is right and occasionally on the third morning the man sits up and asks for idli and sambar <laughs> <laughs> these things happen right and the 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 near death feeling of people 
sometimes occurs three or four times in their lifetime. Yeah. They come back. But what is most, I, mean, I totally agree with uh, what Sandosh said. There is a social pressure. There is the pressure to keep the person in the hospital. But I would like you and everyone who listens to think about one question. Mm-hmm. Where do you feel most connected? One thing that I know is that almost every person whom I admit, there are exceptions. There is an occasional person who is more comfortable in our hospice bed. But the majority of people are desperate to go back home. They keep asking, when can I go back? When can I go back? And you say tomorrow. They don't want to die at the hospice. They want to live in their home. Right. When yeah, you say like die, right. what I mean is they, they want to live their last days. And that's where they feel connected. That bed, that, their side of the bed, right. the tree outside the window. These are things that they relate to. They are desperate to go back there. If Sandor says you can go home tomorrow, they will not sleep well that night. They'll get up at three o'clock and start packing. And in the morning, they'll be waiting. And this feeling... Do you find this odd? No. I believe that that connection with this universe, which is different from for different people, for some people it is just God. They don't care. I've handed over everything to him. Let him decide. They are willing to accept everything. But majority of people do not have that deep connection. But people do feel connected to their own environment. This is, this is true for almost every human being. Except for some who don't care. And they are fine wherever they are. The ultimate philosophers. Most of us, especially <laughs> when, we are, when we are very ill, want to get back to our familiar environment. And when you take away your loving mother or father from the village because there is nobody to care for them to your 34th story apartment in Kolaba, you are asking for trouble. The second day... Can it accelerate death? This it can certainly cause delirium and which can go on to agitation. The incidence of delirium, the abnormal state of consciousness to... It in the especially in the elderly is proved to be high when they are taken away from their familiar environment. When they are uprooted. When their world is lost. Disconnected, yeah. They are taken to another taken world that they don't belong to. It's like a bird's dogs, right? You just take them to this whatever fancy clinic with tube lights, like what are they supposed to do? <laughs> well, the only other place other than home which our traditional societies and cultural background people might like to go is these hospice cities right. or hospice towns or religious places, you know, where people think if I die here, I'll get moksha. Mm. So it might be Jagannath Puri, it might be Varanasi, it might be Mathura Vrindavan, it might be Haradwar, it might be Rameshwaram, so it, or it might be Tirupati, God knows. So people, you know, they uh, when they want to end, when they see that life is ending, they would like to see that this... A cycle of uh, life and birth and death and birth and death should go away. It should end. And that, in a, according to the Hindu philosophy, is what is called as moksha. So if they, if they attain moksha, 
or uh, salvation or whatever term you want to call it they think that this cycle will finish so you would think of that again as one of those cultural defense mechanisms yes, and if like, you see if you see people um, varanasi it's uh, now a business uh, there are many homes for elderly for people with advanced diseases which uh, where people just come and they stay there till the time of their death and they are at the bank of ganges you don't have to uh, you know keep a, a small tumbler of ganga jal ganga jal is there all along and they get uh, you know cremated at the uh, uh, uh at the banks of ganges uh, nothing better than that now waiting for death is an altogether different business isn't it now one is to say that you know i i don't i know you don't like the word death so much but the one is to die and be in the process of dying and the other is to know that you know one is kind of unwell and one is going to go but you know you just keep waiting to die it's a little bit like turning up in wherever yeah banaras or something and yeah. you know you are there for like 4 years yeah. 5 years and 6 years and no no it, it is not like we don't like I, i don't like the word death in fact i i believe we should accept it as a part of life, life. that last part of life sure. we are not di- making a distinction between living and dying we are accepting dying as, as a part, of, part life. of life and so long as life is there life is important and uh, what sandosh said i'll connected connect that to the connectedness that i was talking about i said some people feel so close to god that they leave everything to him similarly the connection with the faith is all important for a christian the last communion is so important and if you deny them of that they are very upset in the last uh, phase of life so that their faith the rituals that they believe in are very important to some but don't expect everybody to like that and somebody who is uh, much less spiritual than that my spirituality will center around my home and my bed and my loved ones so what's the future what's the future of uh, the last few days of this process of dying where are we headed because you know i mean so long as we are around we'll continue to keep going all the all the four of us will be dead one day it yeah. will keep happening what i am hundreds uh, of cent- what years I'm out what i'm afraid of is that uh, death will become more and more technological it will become high tech deaths and that will be the sad part of it and uh, as uh, you know we have been talking i think traditions are gradually going you into you seem to have done that to dogs yes. so yeah. i think um, it's pro- what's the future where do you think this is going the dogs yeah, think, in villages you know, or smaller towns or elsewhere or other animals i mean animals quietly. must be dying in jungles yes, every day they right? would be quietly dying a nameless death you know and i think see there's a difference again because of traditions and culture and that is creeping in here too where in the west see there are no laws in t- like like naturally in human beings so um there it's it's coming in here also that euthanasia you know where culturally we we still do not want to put down an animal where in the west uh, more often than not if it is too much suffering then animal is put, put down but here we will try and try till the and end and what's the what's the code for that what are the norms like when is an animal allowed to be put down see one is that you know there are these five freedoms that if the animals don't have that those are lost but more than that i think 
again, suffering is very relative. Yeah. So just to give you a quick example, we had a volunteer from the the UK who had come down, and he wanted to learn first aid, and we do a lot of first aid, and he saw a dog with a huge maggot wound, and that was his first case that I was treating and showing him, and that night he couldn't sleep, and he said, you know, I'd like to, uh, I mean, this dog, don't you think it should be put down? So I said, no, you're going to treat it and cure it, and he did, and then. His whole idea of suffering changed because he saw this dog with a maggot wound on the head get cured and running around and lived for the next ten ten years. So that that is very relative and because sometimes those, one can project one's own emotions onto the yeah, and that's what generally we do. So the suffering is actually our emotions more than what actually the animal is going through. Yeah, but I think like, like he said. We are we are moving to that where more and more you know uh, technology you know will will just say that okay this this dog is you know um, needs to be put down. So dogs don't go to ICUs as of now, right? Yeah, but there are there would be. I mean, <laughs> there, there, if people can afford it, yeah, they would yeah. take that also. Yes. What's the future, Rajgopal? We'll end with you. It's immediate future is what Sandosh said. Over medicalization of death, infliction of suffering on the dying. but then i think the future is in the past in bhutan every human being is supposed to think about one's own death between sex it varies at least once a day or on five times a day you are asked to think about your own death and that consciousness of mortality that it happens to everyone that will help us to talk about death then death will not become the stranger to which you surrender uh, the body to the doctor to do whatever he wants to do in the icu then the public debate will see the utter nonsense of that kind of over medicalization and death will become more humane but for that precisely what you are doing is important making these conversations happen today before we came into this room your wife said something profound she faced the death of a close one at the age of 19 and that changed her life from that time she understood life she said till then she did not understand life she understood that human beings are mortal these are thoughts that we do not come to our the surface of our minds ordinarily so and of death which can surface this understanding about life which is your point about it being a continuum exactly i mean the recognition that it has to happen sometimes makes us think about it and even plan you would consider it morbid but that's realistic are you at ease with the idea of your own death yes i you know why i hesitated yeah i would be very comfortable about it if i had my own way and i could die in my home or as sandosh says sometimes i need help to be comfortable in a palliative care unit i do hope things do not go out of hands and my greatest fear i am an anesthetist and an intensive care doctor in the past my greatest fear is about dying in an intensive care unit my greatest fear is that if at that point of time i want to hold on to my son's hands he will not be allowed in my greatest fear is that i'll miss that kiss on my cheek from my grandchild 
what about you both well one one just to add what he said is that i mean one is what what do you think about living wills because uh, i mean you had spoken about something you know which yeah. which is like a living will because my father you know has very clearly told me and he's 87 now and he's very clearly told me that if something has to happen i i fall very sick you either take me to abc hospital but please remember that i do not want to be put on a ventilator or poked and things like that then otherwise just uh, bring me back home and and post that after i pass away donate my body to science yeah i think that's interesting what about you santosh yeah Are oh, well, you are you at ease with the idea of your own death? Oh, very much so. And uh, actually, I make it a point to discuss, you know, in my uh, numerous workshops with uh, people in involved in uh, persons uh, caring for persons in terminal illness. I I make sure that they become aware of their own death and how they would like to die. So I just ask them the same question: How would you like to die if if you had a choice? And how does one prepare for it? Like, what does it mean to? be comfortable i know i'm asking you that but i have no idea what it means no well uh, starting from having a you know a living will or having some advance directive about it or you know uh, uh, nowadays it's much more easier when my parents died uh, we we struggled a lot post death you know because about uh, none of the bank things had nomination nominees names and all those things so I, i made sure that a lot of those things are done i'm actually ready for death except one thing that i have not yet vacated my room and there are hundreds and thousands of books and i don't know what my children will do with them so it'll <laughs> be put to good use don't worry i, I hope so that's the that's the cool thing about books they don't die <laughs> thank you so yeah, much thank thanks you. to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again thank, thank you for coming thank you thank you, thank you. Thank you.